as we are all too familiar, uh, in recent times, we've had a, a significant pastor um, have to leave a ministry that he and his wife started uh, 40 years ago. And he has done so many good things, uh, talking about um, the uh, founder of the Hillsong Church. And uh, it, it's been a very public uh, issue. Um, I know the Sydney Morning Herald, which is the New York Times of Australia, has had their targets on Brian Houston for, um, for at least 15 years. And about once a year, they come up with a hit piece. And uh, so they, they took particular delight in just the, the few uh, transgressions that uh, caused his, his ministry to uh, come undone. I have, uh, I have tremendous respect for anybody who um, commits their lives to taking the gospel into the world. I have tremendous respect for anybody who takes on ministry and uh, devotes their life to building up the bride of Christ, the local church. And it's always heartbreaking when somebody, um, somebody trips and falls, and especially in, in the home stretch uh, on, on the, on the, the back years of their ministry life. So I thought uh, it would be really um, interesting for us to just, just evaluate, analyze, reflect on, on what are the things, what are the conditions that cause uh, ministry leaders to, to trip and fall. I'm going to share my screen here. If somebody can give me a Thumbs up there, Rudy Haygood. Is that coming through? All right. So I've titled this Avoiding a Leadership Trip and Fall. And this is coming a lot out of my clinical practice because, as you would know, I, um, I have the great honor of coming alongside of ministry leaders in their toughest times. And so, um, uh, so I've got a list here of, of factors that contribute to a trip and fall. So the first one is uh, exhaustion, uh, compromised resiliency. Um, it, it, exhaustion, emotional exhaustion just comes with the territory. Um, Ministry is a very personal uh, issue. Uh, it comes from the very core of, of who we are. And when we, when, we, when, we, when we preach, when we teach, when we put ourselves before the people and, and lead them, we are leading them not from a textbook. We are leading them from, uh, obviously, based on the word of God, but we're leading them from a you know, very personal part of our lives because we, um, we feel these things, uh, what we speak about, 
what we um, uh, what we share with others on a spiritual level. We feel these things, we experience these things, and and because of that, we have a greater capacity uh, to experience emotional exhaustion. And uh, that when we're when we're exhausted emotionally, then the normal resiliency factors that we have um, can become compromised. Uh, in my in my book, let's talk about uh, ministry burnout. Um, I talk about how the further we get along in in burnout, the less uh, emotional margin that we have to be able to absorb the irritants. And uh, I would say, even you know, outside of the the burnout concept. Uh, the more exhausted we are, the more our resiliency is uh, compromised. And so, um, so there, I, I don't think I can, I can recall a clinical case where uh, there was an em, uh, emotional exhaustion somehow involved in the thinking process. So that would be that would be number one on my list. Um, some uh, some of the thinking uh, that comes along with emotional exhaustion is, man, I deserve this. Um, uh, yeah, nobody's nobody will find out. I can control this; it won't get out of hand. And that's all the thinking that uh, comes out of a mind that has been uh, with resiliency factors uh, have been compromised. Number two, uh, success-induced invincibility, or in the clinical world, we would call it success-induced narcissism. And, um, you know, there's something peculiar about ministry. There, there, are, not, there are not very many other professions where on a weekly basis we get to have you know hundreds and for some of us thousands of people sit and listen to us and and give us their undivided attention and if we we continue to do this uh faithfully long enough we we develop a track record and that you know the track record is well. This is this is what I do. I lead. People follow, and um, there can be a sense of invincibility. Um, a solid base of devotees. Uh, just having having again hundreds or thousands of people who are just devoted to seeing us as their leader. And, and they're, they're willing to follow and they're devoted to our leadership. And um, sometimes that can be more influential in our thinking process than what it should be. In other words, we can let it get to our, go to our heads. Uh, no one questions or inquires. They just trust my position and my track record. Uh, number four, boredom and frustration. I've lumped those two in together um, 
but but there are uh, definite distinctions. Boredom is what uh, King David was experiencing on the rooftop. Um, he he had a lot of time on his hands. He wasn't out with his uh, with his men leading the men in into battle. Uh, he was home, and he was bored. And boredom is a form of anxiety. And in order to uh, deal with that anxiety, uh, in order to reduce it, he um, he compromised his spiritual values and commitments. Uh, frustration, uh, you know, obviously as pastors, we all have great visions and aspirations and we have desires to do great things for the kingdom and bring glory to his name and, and uh, radical transformation uh, through, the, through the, the hope of the gospel and the redemption of Christ. Uh, but there are times and a lot of times where uh, reality falls short of our expectation and it can be frustrating. And I've got, I've got this, this diagram here that, when we're in a state of prolonged uh, disappointment, um, it, it can affect our, our level of satisfaction. We just get frustrated and, and we look for ways to, to uh, make ourselves feel better. And uh, when, when the results are falling way short of expectations, then uh, there's opportunity for frustration to fill that gap. And uh, that can influence our thinking process. Uh, the fifth one I've got on my list is unprocessed personal history of pain and disappointment. Uh, a lot of us, uh, well, all of us are called into ministry, but some are propelled into ministry because of our own uh, dysfunction uh, growing up. Uh, some of us uh, did not grow up in a in a christian god honoring setting in fact it was anything but that but then we found christ and we're so enraptured by the, the transformation that christ has had in our life and the, the power of his spirit in us that we we go into ministry and because we want people to experience what we've experienced this this tremendous transformation uh, but it doesn't mean that all the dysfunction in our personal history goes away. And sometimes we can lead under the, uh, under the influence of our biography and our dysfunctional biography. A lot of pastors can, uh, can minister with a sense of wanting to prove something. And, and so, you know, that tends to eventually show up when we're put under enough pressure, uh, duress, stress, frustration, anxiety, uh, stuff that's in there can, can bubble to the surface and it can influence our thinking process. And then finally, it can be a constellation of some or all of the above. Uh, it can be many factors that all come together to create the perfect storm. And and we can find ourselves uh, compromising our standards and our values and our commitments. Um, the, uh, the, the leader that I spoke about, um, 
who who founded and and did an amazing job uh just being used by god and bringing uh bringing the gospel uh bringing uh new worship uh songs to the world um and I want to choose my words very carefully here because this is being recorded, and I, I, I don't, I don't want in any way for us to be throwing anybody under the bus. I'm, I'm using this as just a a reference point for us. Uh, but what it came down to was was a a text that was inappropriate, but not not overly salacious. And in my clinical practice, I have. I have unfortunately seen a lot of texts from a lot of ministry leaders that are uh, sensationally salacious. On this instance, the, the text wasn't uh, salacious at all. It wasn't overtly sexual, uh, but it certainly was inappropriate. And then there was uh, a purported 40 minutes in a hotel room with a woman that was not his wife. There was no indication that any uh, sexual activity took place whatsoever by by the woman. Uh, there wasn't any accusation leveled, but it was just 40, 40 minutes in a hotel room. So we have you know a forty a forty year incredibly influential God honoring ministry undone by forty minutes in a hotel room. So um, it doesn't take much. And, and when it comes, when it starts to unravel, it can unravel very quickly. And what, I, what I've discovered in, in, my, in my work is that uh, because the, the pastor is loved and revered and respected and appreciated for all the work that's gone on, there is this balance of, the, of uh, church leaders trying to su- give appropriate support to the leader when they're in a trip and fall fallen situation, but there's also this uh, sense that they've got to protect the church as well. And sometimes uh, decisions are made to let the, let the, the pastor go um, because uh, the drama is becoming such a distraction for the church. And, and, uh, and so sometimes pastors are, are let go. They're, their, their position is relinquished uh, very quickly because uh, just the drama that a trip and fall can produce. So one of, one of the things that I think is really important for all of us is, is, to, is to have this sense about you as a leader in terms of your potential for tripping and falling. And that is to have this phrase as a part of your vocabulary. It could happen to me. Um, I think, I think it's, it's dangerous when we go, ah, no, I, I think I'm, I've, I've got a good track record. I, I, I think I'm safe. I think if anything would have happened, it would have happened by now. No, I, I think, I think I'm good. You know, it may happen to others, but it, but it's uh, not likely to happen to me. And I think that, that that can set us up to relax our safeguards. I think if we all, if we all uh, ministered in um, through, 
through the lens that, you know, this could happen to me. And so I can't afford to let my, my guards down. So I'm going to have uh, a uh, question on the screen and then we're going to stop. Uh, I'll stop sharing the screen. Uh, but I want us for the next, uh, you know, for the remainder of the session to just share our collective wisdom and, uh, and to start it off, um, I'm going to ask the question, what protective factors have worked for you? So at this point, I am going to stop sharing the screen and uh, let's, uh, let's share with one another. Um, uh, what protectives uh, you've, uh, you've been advised to have? Um, what protective factors have worked for you? What situations have you found yourself in where, uh, where you felt like you were standing on dangerous ground? So I'm speaking against the crickets now. Crickets go away. Let's Let's make the most of this time because this really could, you know, something that you could share could really make a difference to somebody who um, is under a lot of pressure, under uh, experiencing emotional exhaustion right now. So, so please unmute and Dennis, go for yes. it. Thanks for being the first yes. one. Yes, I, I don't mean to be a smart aleck, but it usually happens that way. Uh, God has blessed me with a woman who has a gift of be so intuitive and I would come home from a counseling session and she'd say, well, this happened, didn't it? And I'm like, I'd get mad. I said, you ain't supposed to know that. Well, she said, I just, and you know, God knows me and she's not one to question me every time I turn around. But I just know I can't hide a darn thing from her. And not that I would want to, but but I have been blessed with that. That's not anything I've set up. God set it up 45 years ago, and so I'm blessed. Thank you. Good on you, Dennis. Appreciate that. Yes, our wives are certainly a protective factor. So thank you, Dennis, for starting us off. Wes, I would say that um, one of the things that, that you say, what's worked for me, I've resisted isolation. Isolation feeds sins of the mind, which are the respectable sins of Christian leaders, you know, four kinds of sins, sins of commission, sins of omission, uh, unintentional sin, like Peter outside uh, the uh, trial of Jesus with the young girl in the courtyard. He, he didn't intend to deny the Lord, but, but in a moment of weakness, he did. Sins of commission, sins of omission, unintentional sins, but then sins of the mind. And sins of the mind are really fertilized by uh, isolation. So um, if, if you are uh, unaccountable from the standpoint of your time with your wife or with your coworkers in ministry, if you leave people asking, I wonder where he is, I wonder what he's doing. Um, if you're not accountable for your time and you are uh isolated you become increasingly isolated uh 
it, it is going to become a, a tripping point. It's going to become a stumbling block for you in leadership. Most of the pastors that I've counseled through the years that have had a fall or a failure, um, it began with sins of the mind and began by isolation and physical isolation or relational verbal isolation uh, really creates a problem. One other thing I would say, and I'll probably get some stones thrown at me for saying it, but I, I need to say it. I'm finding more and more pastors are compromising in the area of uh, alcohol consumption and with Brian Houston. Um, you know, he owned the fact that he had been drinking and taking pills. And uh, this is something that's not hard to correct. You just stop it. You just don't do it. Paul said, if I eat meat and it causes my brother to stumble, I won't eat meat. And as pastors, in my opinion, this is an area where we need to deny ourselves because there are so many for whom alcohol is a serious stumbling block. And you passively give permission uh, to them uh, to indulge, to imbibe. Uh, if you, by example, uh, indulge and buy. Now, personal decision, I understand that, but I do think it's a big-time leadership issue, and, uh, and we've seen lots of illustrations of guys who operated with a double standard in this area, and it's nailed them. Ken, you, uh, uh, yeah, you bring up some very salient points. Thank you for sharing that. Um, in, in the case of... Uh, Brian Houston, um, in ref, re, in the information, what information we do have about the night that he went into the hotel room, these are the four factors that were in play that we know about that were actually uh, expressed. He had been to he he had uh, been at a conference meeting that night, and he would have been emotionally exhausted from that. Um, he was on. Uh, psychiatric medication that was anti-anxiety medication so that was another variable he had actually taken uh purported to have taken uh more than the recommended dosage so that was another uh variable and he added alcohol into the mix and so any, any one of those things puts you on on dangerous ground, but there was a constellation of factors there. The uh, psychotropic medication, um, the uh, taking more than the prescribed dose, uh, it being emotionally exhausted, and uh, and then I think alcohol is the great magnifier, and that that is that is a troublesome thing about alcohol is that. Um, it there's a fine line between uh, recreation and self medication, and uh, yeah, the best, best thing you can say about alcohol as a Christian leader, it is a dangerous exercise of Christian liberty. Uh, we can we can learn from this situation, and um, and I think this uh, the fact that we're having a conversation is is uh, important for us. Um, 
let's keep it going. Thank you. Thank you for those who have contributed so far. Um, yeah, Dr. Well, Bus, <clears throat> I, I have a few thoughts on this. Um, kind of in the areas of ministry that uh, in Kansas and, and Nebraska and just uh, the several years on either side of me that graduated from Bible college, uh, friends, um, you know, from several Bible colleges and, and then have had a part of um, chapels and, and, and knowing kids that are going into ministry. I've seen a lot of um, people fail in morality while they're in ministry. Mm-hmm. And so I, I put a lot of thought in that because I did not grow up in the church um, uh, as a child. Uh, we occasionally went to a United Methodist Church with my grandmother and, and things like that, but um, not even knowing what a Bible college was about five weeks before Bible college started <laughs> for me, um, it, was, it, was, it was a whole new world. And so one of the perspectives that I started to gain after this, after I started seeing this, especially, I don't know, maybe their first 10 years in ministry, where you see quite a few guys drop out and it could be them or their wives involved in the immorality. I think uh, I've seen quite a bit on both sides is I think one of the things that has to do with it is um, there there tends to be uh, a desire, I think you touched on it earlier. I think there, I think one of the things that um, should be a fail safe for ministers is some honesty within the um, the groups that meet together. There are several people that aspire in ministry. They have a stepping ladder in their mind from Bible college. I think it was uh, unknowingly or unwittingly communicated uh, to me. I, I didn't find that super attractive, but uh, I think I can. Uh, and, and I think there's a, a behavior and kind of a lack of self-awareness that goes along with that because so many ministers lack in authentic, close relationships. It's lonely. Hmm. And you, you touched on all these things. Um, those, that's not only harmful, I think, for the individual, but for their wife. And so um, sometimes it can be our morality that stumbles the ministry, but it could also be um, the minister's wife that does that. And, and sometimes that's kept behind, you know, out of people's information and, and somebody kind of goes off and you're not sure why. I think another thing that happens is some people end up with a tremendous sized congregation uh, and they didn't grow up with people uh, thinking they were in leadership uh, type of position. They didn't look at them. They maybe never had people approach them in that manner. And now all of a sudden you have, um, like you said, hundreds or or even a thousand or thousands of people who show a different kind of admiration and that individual isn't used to it. So they're kind of thrust in a position. Um, uh, I, I could see this uh, in my family and friends with uh, people who got famous through um, some type of athletics. And um, all of a sudden, one day they're unknown, and now they're known. And uh, it's a. And then there's, you might think you're very strong, but when you have people approaching you in that matter, you were never prepared for that. And I think when you have um, that opportunity 
with um, the lack of any kind of success and experience in that opportunity, with the lack of fail safes, and then you're a lonely person, uh, ministry, depending on where you're at in the country, uh, and, and if you've been taught, hey, you got to not have authentic relationships in the church because that can wound you and, you know, depending on how you work your personal life, um, you and your wife are lonely. Then if you're fighting with the only person <laughs> that helps you not be lonely, mm. uh, I think there's a great deal of depression and, and fake behavior that comes in. Even if you're a part of a pastor group, then your personal life um you've kind of got to hold something up that isn't there. And so I think it's kind of a, it's a system that if we don't have those checks and balances, um, you know, I, I'm unaware of anybody uh, in, in the cities I've been or the areas I've been who was an alcoholic or a drug addict who failed in these areas. Although I'm sure that uh, magnifies it by you know 10, but all, but also even if they have fell safe. So, you know, in our church, we have windows and all the, besides all the doors and hey don't don't ride alone and all those things but people find ways around those things i think it's good to have those things but in 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 uh one one year well in a, in a period of about i'm sorry in a couple of years in one of the uh places i was every music minister in the city except two had an affair in a, in a, in a matter of a couple of years um, now I'm not picking on that group because uh, the church I was at before, you know, it was a, it was a senior uh, uh, couple of the groups I was with, it was campus pastors and, and youth ministers. So uh, it's, it's every place, but I, I, I identify those things as um, things that are chronic problems in ministry and those chronic problems that we have when we're lonely and, and things that you, uh, but, but I also think that the, um, the achievement model when they get disappointed in their achievement or they realize success. Sometimes when we realize success, it's kind of like alcohol. It's a magnifier of the sin that's already in our heart. And um, yeah, those are just my two cents, but, but those are things I think as groups of ministers meet together, we should talk about openly, even identifying each other and be honest with one another say, Hey, you know, this is what I see on your social media. This is what I see you know, with your personality type, you know, do you struggle with this? I think it's hard for us because our relationships too only go so deep sometimes, but it is a real issue. And, and it's something that uh, in my ministry seems to ha has happened around me quite a bit. And uh, I think there are factors that seem similar in almost every situation. So that's all I have. Uh, Austin, that's not just two cents. That's two solid ounces of gold that you've put in there. Uh, that loneliness factor is, is a big deal um, because ministry can uh, lend itself to, you know, as they say, leadership can be lonely. And uh, so we, we are vulnerable there. Uh, so uh, thank you, Austin. I appreciate your contribution. Somebody else, what are some protective factors or just, just some content that you that you have in your heart and mind that you think may be of benefit to the rest of us on the call. Hey, Dr. Wes. Cedric. How you doing, sir? I hear you can't see your, your amazing, yeah. handsome face, but go yeah. for it. 
I, I'm a, I got some health issues. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking some medicine. I don't look that great right now, but I'll be okay. Um, it's funny you talking on this topic. I'll be quickly. About 15 years ago, I fell. Probably 15, 16 years ago. I wasn't a preacher at the time, uh, but I was a leader at, at this church, and, and we didn't have a preacher. We were searching for one. But I had a lot of influence on the congregation, and I know I did. Uh, they, you know, they followed me. And uh, I messed up real bad, uh, public sin, uh, uh, you know, repented and everything uh, for it and, and, and the public of, this, of the church and I of the church really felt bad. It was hard for me to get back up myself because I felt ashamed of what I've done. Um, and not to mention, the, the, it, and even though I wasn't a preacher, they really, they really was hard on me like I was a preacher, man. It, all the churches uh, in New Orleans wouldn't touch me when it comes to doing anything. And, um, I, and I remember I was in school uh, studying to be a preacher and uh, elder at the time, one of the leaders at the time said, you'll never be a preacher. And I never forget him telling me that. Um, but what, what, what failure, you know, John Maxwell had a book out and it says fail forward. And, and, and I believe that's what I did. Even though I failed and I, I was hurting for a while, took me about over a year before I can really get back into the ministry because nobody would touch me. Um, but, but what I've learned from it, and when you, when you fail and fail forward, you learn from it. And uh, what I've learned, he was saying, what can pre prevent it the next time, but since I've actually been there, where I had public sin and I fell forward, now I keep myself away from things, uh, maybe in the church, uh, that is tempting to me that it causes me to sin. I, I make sure I stay away from it, almost like uh, somebody coming home from doing time of drugs. Uh, I stay away from people, places, and things that would that would hurt me and that can cause me especially to do that same sin. So I stay away from some things in the church I just don't do because I don't want uh, that, uh, that temptation. But I experience falling in the public eye real bad. Uh, but God is good. His grace, you know, once I realized God had forget, forgiven me, then I start working in the church again, preaching again, and never thought I would be a preacher to this day. And that's how God would turn things around. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been there. And so the answer to your question is I, I know things that, that, that tempt me. I know my areas that I'm weak at, and I try to stay at that. I'm trying to do better in those areas and grow, but I try to stay away from things that would really hurt me and hurt the church and cause me to fall again. Cedric, that is so valuable. Thank you for sharing that. Um, we also, you know, praying for you, brother, with uh, what, you're, what you're dealing with there, with your health, but that is a really powerful protective measure. Stay away from people, places, and things that you find tempting. Uh, great word. Some, somebody else. I remember the story. I've not validated this, but it was told from Credible that um, he was in Paris in a crusade and the front page of the Paris paper said, Reverend Graham spends night in a hotel with woman, La Femme. When they researched it, he and Beverly Shea shared rooms. And after that, they never shared rooms again. Early in his going, they were saving money. Uh, Dr. West, I got to a place, I did not counsel women without their husbands. 
sometimes the first time, a lot of times I detoured them quick, but if they didn't come with their husbands, that was a sort of um, long-term healing had better have the husband. Hmm. I would add to that, uh, that in all my years of ministry, having an assistant, uh, female assistant, always, first of all, I always tried to choose women who were mother figures. And I could do that when I was younger, but then I kind of aged out on that and um, couldn't find anybody my age that wanted to work. And, <laughs> but uh, I did not even pray privately with a female uh, administrative assistant. The, the door had to be open there or there had to be someone else present. I, I did not, prayer is, is uh, intimate and it's a connection that, that, uh, that needs to be respected. And uh, so I, I would even say to those of you who have a, a female assistant, you may want to, you may want to think about not having that kind of, uh, that intimacy, that kind of alone, uh, a private connection with anyone of the the opposite sex, even a coworker. Good, good word, Ken and uh, Kevin. Thank you for uh, giving that uh, Billy Graham anecdote. I think I think he also Billy Graham would not enter a hotel room. Uh, somebody could ver verify this. Uh, he would have some. He would have somebody to go into the hotel room to make sure that it was. Uh, uh, empty and uh, before he would enter the hotel room. So, I mean, that's taking it to an extreme, but all you need is one photo. And, uh, and especially these days, uh, one, one photo, one text can have, can cause a ministry to come uh, completely undone. Bob. Yeah. I just wanted to, uh, while I, I agree with what, uh, has been said in the last, uh, you know, through Ken or Russell and, and a couple others. The, I think there is a, a reality that has to be focused on as well in in dealing with uh, many of us who have executive level or uh, women who are in ministry with us, and and this idea of uh, we like you don't want to make them feel as if like they're not included in regular conversation. So if the guys go out. Uh, play golf and they go to a game and they do this and the women at that same level are excluded from that event, you know that ministry conversation is going to happen and then women become, become isolated in those uh, kind of communal uh, conversations that are had over recreation or outside activities or you go to lunch or you go do this sort of thing. So while I understand the sentiment of guarding our hearts, making sure the perception is not there, I think we, the, the opposite needs to be addressed as well. Is like, how do we do the many of these same types of um, precautions, but not allow our, our, our ladies on staff with us to feel as if they are lesser than? Because if it's our if it's our fault if it's our failings that we're trying to protect we're actually harming their ministry influence as well. So I think, mm. I think, you know, the, it just has to be a, an important conversation. And if you're, maybe you just don't need, you need to treat people equally. So just kind of a, 
a different perspective, uh, but I completely understand the sentiment about guarding ourselves. Yeah. yeah you bring up the, uh, I, I think that we could label that the Mike Pence factor, Bob, where he was, he was vastly criticized for his position of not meeting alone with a woman and all these executive le- level uh, women with saying, that's unfair. We don't, uh, we don't get the same access because of our gender. So that, yeah, that's a, that's, that's perhaps a conversation for another day, but that certainly is, uh, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's not an easy uh, line to walk um, with that, particularly with what you, uh, what you just shared. Um, just, just to finish off here, and I'm going to, um, I'm just wondering whether Dwayne, would you be open to praying for us? You know, um, just uh, give me a microphone check there, make sure that your microphone's working, and uh, then I want to give a closing comment. Can can you just speak for a moment? Yes, sir. Yep, your microphone's working great. Um, one of the things that that I just want to remind you of: it doesn't matter how old you are or how ugly you think you are. To some woman in your church, you are very attractive, and just. Don't trade on the fact that nobody would want you. And because it's not the case, um, you, uh, you would be surprised at just how many, how many people, uh, how many uh, females out there would consider you um, just a wonderful person to be intimate with. And so let's, um, let's learn from, from this case study. Let's remind ourselves that none of us are beyond tripping and falling. And the evil one certainly wants to, uh, to take us out, to take us off the field and to take us out of the game. And, um, it's, it's my desire. Every, every leader's desire here. Uh, on this call and certainly uh, the Solomon Foundation leadership, we, we want you to be, to be going long and strong in ministry. And, but we also know that the evil one wants to, wants to trip us all up. So um, thank you for sharing uh, and uh, for being part of this conversation. And uh, um, with that, I'm going to hand it over to Dwayne to pray for us. And uh, if Dwayne, you could uh, just remember uh, uh, Cedric in your prayers as well with what he's going through, but thanks Dwayne, lead us. Uh, 